Welcome everybody to the Sum It Up Podcast. This is where we talk about movies, shows, games, and a bunch of other stuff. I am John, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Chris. And you can find us on Apple Podcast, Anchor, and Spotify. Chris, how are you doing today? Oh man, I'm feeling energized to talk about the movies and the other things and the craziness that is Warner Brothers, that Okie Cookie. And uh, I'm drinking my protein powder powder coffee so i'm energized i'm ready let's destroy this oreo <laughs> we got so much to talk about we got a lot of reported uh stories going on i wanted to discuss with you get your thoughts on um so first and foremost uh probably i don't know potentially a fun thing hopefully not a very long-term uh return chris evans has been reportedly um uh He's reportedly planned to return to the MCU in some role. It's not going to be a uh, a lead acting kind of role. I don't think he's going to do Captain America 4. I think it's, uh, at least in talks, just to be more of a supporting role. But I, I don't know, man. I, I have kind of I have a kind of a mixed bag about this. What kind of roles do you want to see him in? Or do you think this is even necessary? I think that it's something that's not necessary, but it is cool to have. I think that you you want to attach to a character that means so much to the fans. And to, for us to get rid of someone like Iron Man with how well Robert Downey Jr. did in that performance, I think that's a profound uh, move to make, and it's the right move. But then to also do with Captain America, who has an amazing character arc throughout the series, throughout the series that is the Infinity stone saga or the the, infinity saga infinity saga yes thank you for the correction it it is one it is kind of odd for us to lose so many characters in that when they mean so much so to have a cameo a couple of times i don't find anything wrong with that uh if anything i'm actually excited by it even though i know it's not necessary so i really do enjoy i really do enjoy this news and i think it's great and chris evans is a sweetheart there's nothing really bad about him. All the cast and crew directors say he's such a great guy to work with. And, you know, even him, you know, on Twitter, when they came out with that report, he kind of like raised his eyebrows on Twitter. It's like, it's the first time I'm hearing about it. But it, I, I did hear a lot of, uh, you know, podcasters and YouTubers just be like, that seems a little, a little coy. Like he's just trying to stoke people into getting excited. Like, oh, who knows what's going to happen? But you know, deep down, he probably does know uh, because he's on Twitter all the time. So he probably saw people, you know, rumoring it before it was becoming reported and you had the Kevin Feige type of uh, statement about it. So, yeah, John, it just in general, I'm, I like it. I think it's a, I think it's a, a great move for what I want. Uh, I don't know how the rest of the fan base sees it, but, you know, uh, do you talk about a character who people were only interested in the beginning of these uh, 23 movies and people love him now. So I I think it's a great move. I don't know. What are you thinking here? I, I want to take the opposite approach. I think it has the potential to be a little problematic because you have him at the end of Endgame, spoiler alert, set up to return the Infinity Stones to their rightful place in time. And then he comes back as old man Cap. Uh, we still don't know if that's from uh, the same world maybe through time travel or if it's through a parallel world or multiverse uh, we don't really know why or how he's back but we know that that gives a sense of finality 
um, to his legacy that he went and he spent the rest of his life with Peggy Carter, that he was able to settle down and have the family that he always wanted and just go and have his, have a dance with his girl. And I think that tied off his story really, really well. Um, and that uh, with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we, we're getting a story about the passing of his mantle to his successor or what that even would look like. Do we do we take up the mantle of Captain America or do we just take up the shield and um, and leave the, the the whole legacy of Captain America behind and kind of propel it forward to a new story? Um, so I, I think for him to return in any sense, they have to do it well. They have to do it very tastefully um, and, and without the focus being on his character in a very strong way, unless it's a flashback of some kind. Um, I, or maybe even potentially like a multiverse, this is a different version of Captain America and we're going to use him um, to help us in a fight. Um, I like what, that. What may be interesting is... Pretty recently in the comics, they did a, um, a, a run with Captain America where he had been corrupted by Hydra and he was secretly a Hydra officer um, oh, yeah. or a Hydra spy for the entire uh, entirety of his career. So maybe if they went to like an Elseworld type of thing where they were skipping around the multiverse and they found a world where they thought they found a Captain America they could trust and um whoever the heroes are jumping around kind of paired up with him only to find out that he's secretly a hydra agent and um kind of putting a, a spin on the whole winter soldier aesthetic um i think maybe but i don't think they're gonna go there i mean well that's even risky because then you're taking somebody who's so iconic and making him a villain um I think but, that's more of the what if series that they're doing for Disney Plus, the that animated series. I think they could do that, but I don't think they're gonna do what they did in the comics because that that is that is one of those things that they do in comics. That's the one off where it's like, oh, you know, let's say Thor, uh, you know, gets sent to another different dimension, and instead of being the god of thunder, he's the god of rain, and it's like, okay, you know, it's it's a one off type of thing or. You know what they do with the they do it a lot for Batman and Joker and mostly yeah. for Joker where he just has such odd backstories. So those one off series, while I think it's cool, I just don't believe it belongs in MCU. I don't think they're going to do that. Kevin Feige is like, oh, that's a cool idea. We're going to put in the comics. But the MCU has to have consistency, which is why they basically got their foot stomped on, you know, Warner Brothers throat. And yeah, in the war on comics, comic book <laughs> movies. Yes. And I I mean, besides that, I, I don't know. I don't know that a flashback would be as impactful because we're we've already got Black Widow filmed. Unless this is somehow like a backdoor rumor into his return in a Black Widow scene, um, but even in, in future projects, unless it's some kind of flashback with with Bucky or Sam at some point, I don't know of another character besides the three of them that he would be close enough with to warrant um some kind of of cameo um potentially some kind of young avengers thing but again like this is just going down deeper down that rabbit hole of um what could he possibly want to return for that would build on his legacy rather than weaken it well i think you bring up a lot of great points to really be skeptical like how are they going to do it after people thought that the messiest part about Endgame, and this is just my perspective, you know, about, for me, the messiest part about Endgame was 
how they gave Cap his send-off because it ruined the Infinity Stones continuity, where it's just like, time travel, this is how it works. And then they're like, no, no, that's not how it works. You know, don't believe in Hot Tub Time Machine. Don't believe in, you know, Back to the Future. This is how it works. And then you have the explanation from the, oh man, I forget her name. The Ancient One? The Ancient One, yes, thank you. The Ancient One saying, this is how it really works. And then it's like clicks. Everyone who's in the theater is like, okay, this is the final version of it. And then Cap returns the stones to their different realities and timelines. And then he comes back, but he's old. And you're like, what? what? You just explained it to us a different way, Kevin. You know, why are you doing this to us? And to bring him back, you've got to, you've either got to smooth that out or you've just got to not acknowledge it ever again. Uh, because that is the messiest part. So I do, I do realize you saying like, they got to execute real well after that part in Endgame, which was the biggest flaw for me is that it's kind of like when I watch Interstellar and I'm like, this is an amazing movie. And then I get to the end and it's like, it's about love Tars. And I'm like, Oh, dang it. You know, why did you do this? <laughs> I'm like Christopher Nolan, come on. Why'd you, why'd you allow this to happen? It's like, it's almost like Matthew McConaughey is like, can we add love to the end of it? And then they look at the scientist who's like putting together this whole entire giant script. And he's just like, yeah, I'm getting paid a lot of money. Sure. Why not? Or I don't, I don't think they paid him a lot of money, but there's a lot of consulting for that movie. Anyways, I'm getting off topic here, but I, I do see your concerns and I agree. And with you saying that, I will say the thing that makes sense to me for them to bring him back in the capacity is what they did with Leonard Nimoy in the newer Star Trek movies, where he is more of an advisory uh, role as an older person. So Spock, there being two Spocks and there's a younger Spock, I don't not necessarily that way there's where there's a younger cap but someone who takes up the mantle and they go occasionally maybe you know one out of three movies going to the older cap asking for advice i think that would be very well done because i would expect chris evans to be in the old person uh prosthetics and that would make me be happy that would make me feel happy to see it that way but we'll just have to wait and see and uh you know look forward to what they're doing yeah, because I mean, the only, the more I think about it, the only other way that I think they could have left his role open, um, or at least more ambiguous, is if when he when he left to go return the stones, um, he he didn't come back like he did in the movies, but then they just didn't show the rest of anything with him, so he didn't. Uh, so imagine him not coming back for Sam and giving him the shield, or him getting a shield in some different way. Um, and him not having that scene with Peggy at the very end. So the so imagine like the last thing we see with Cap is him going back to return the stones, and that's it. We don't we know he doesn't come back, but we know he's out there somewhere, sometime, uh, traveling around, returning the stones, but also just being out in in the multiverse somewhere. No, um, they can't do that. They can't retcon it because then they're gonna run well, into the Star Wars. Problem. Well, no, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like, so rather than have Endgame end the way that it did if they had done that then him coming back in some kind of capacity would make more sense because then we already know he's out in the world um and then he can just kind of jump back in in some kind of advisory capacity whenever they need him to but for them to end on such a final note like they did that's what makes this so difficult and honestly i don't really want to see him come back just because i i think it would cheapen his ending and um unless 
I don't know, even some kind of like multiversal, like this is just a different version of Cap kind of thing. I think, I, I think with that, they would have to change the character itself. Um, I, I think anything too closely resembling our version of Captain America coming back in any capacity is just going to feel weird for a lot of people. Yeah, he can't be young. He can't, he can't have the perfect body. I want old Cap, but <laughs> I, I know there's a lot of different thoughts on how they're going to execute that. So we'll just have to wait and see. That's fair. And speaking of old people coming back, potentially in flashbacks or uh, advisory roles of some kind. Oh, wow. Oh, man, I'm, that was a wordy, wordy segue. Um, Liam Neeson is reportedly returning in the Obi-Wan series. Um, we don't know. <laughs> this whole episode is basically just a lot of reports, which bear with us. But That's, that's fine. Speculating on Liam Neeson. I wonder if he... Uh... <laughs> If they asked him to take a pay cut for his female actresses, and he was like, what? No. That famous clip of him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so sad. <laughs> but I, I do feel for the guy, because he kind of just was like, no, no, no. Not pay cut. No. <laughs> just like, oh, dude. Wrong time to just say no. You could have eloquently said it a different way, and it just makes him seem so stupid. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So anyways, getting back on track. <laughs> um, so I don't know if this is going to be him like in some kind of flashback or a force ghost. Um, I know that Liam Neeson himself has said that he is interested in coming back because I think um, the role of Qui-Gon has kind of gone um, unfulfilled in a lot of ways. Like I know he's had some moments in, in the Clone Wars animated series and uh, in the comics or the books, but I, I think... I think people need more uh, Qui-Gon in the movies or in some kind of live action experience. I personally think a force ghost would be pretty cool, um, especially as, as Obi-Wan's kind of wandering the wilderness, looking for uh, mentorship from someone. I think having a force ghost Obi-Wan maybe show up towards the end of the series to kind of give that last little push in the right direction. I think that'd be really well done. I don't know. What about you? Because you're the you're the Star Wars guy here. Well, let me ask you that. Let me answer your question with a question, which is, did you watch season six of the Clone Wars? Yes. Okay, so then you know that Qui-Gon isn't going to come back as a Force ghost. I, I, I forget. Refresh my memory. Okay, so he... Okay, I will refresh the memories of all of you out there that Qui-Gon actually comes back as, like, a, a spirit of, like, like a kind of like a an essence he doesn't come back as a full ghost like you don't see his shoulders he's not a humanoid or anything like that he comes out like as a kind of like a wisp if anything just like a, an ethereal type of ball that talks to yoda and he's the one who gives him the training of like go to this place go to this place to figure it out um so that that's how yoda comes back as an actual force ghost is that qui-gon didn't complete the training but he still guides yoda to so that yoda can take his his training and become a force ghost because Qui-Gon kind of halfway got there. So I think that's the best way to do it because then it does, it's more of that connecting to the clone wars, which has done so much for star Wars done so much for the prequels. And even rebels has done so much for the lore as well. You know, these animated series have a place for the star Wars lore and for the star Wars fandom. So if they continue that, you know, it is consistency, which Lucasfilm consistency, you know, to think about it, you know, just give, give it a thought. So 
I do want to see Qui-Gon come back in the capacity of a kind of spirit, like a voice or, you know, this little spherical ball that is that his life essence talking to Obi-Wan the same way that he talked to Yoda. And I think I, I, I would really like to see Liam Neeson come back and reprise that role, because for a lot of people who grew up with the ser- with the Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, Qui-Gon is their favorite Jedi. Yeah. You know, and, and even for me thinking about it, Qui-Gon is one of my favorite Jedi because he is someone who doesn't give in to the type of elitism that is the Jedi. He is kind of understanding the middle pathways of being, you know, being a force user where, you know, it, you, when he talks about the folly of the Jedi, when he says, I will train the boy and they're just like, he's too old. And, you know, Qui-Gon saying, why does that matter? He's too old. Or when they say about... If there was a plot to destroy the Jedi, we would be able to see it, you know, when it comes to the dark side. So I think Qui-Gon coming back is just a really big moment for Star Wars and bringing back these characters that really test the balance of good and evil and just that type of that type of thought process, you know, it could explain a lot of things that we have going on in the world today. So I don't know. I think not to not to get all philosophical about it but there there needs to be a balance of certain things and i think qui-gon really really accentuates that type of that type of thought that you know there is a gray when everyone wanted that to happen in the sequels and then the new writers on the rise of skywalker like you know what nah (laughs) it doesn't need to be a gray i'm so glad you said that yeah because that's exactly what i was thinking of was we almost got there and then it was just ripped out from under us and everything is black and white. There is no gray. You either are good or you are evil. And um, yeah, I, I think you're 100% right. I think that'd be so great to see that get more reinforced um, from a character who had already started that, who fans are familiar with, um, kind of helping Obi-Wan become more of the mentor that um, that Luke needs rather than the one that Anakin had. Um, kind of getting into the next phase of his life where he's ready for that that new type of padawan um i'm i'm a i am so much more on board for liam neeson coming back than i am chris evans and it feels weird to say that Mm, yeah well it speaks back to something that i think is important for me to ask you which is this seems like a move that general audiences would miss Whereas people who would watch the MCU that are general audiences would be like, oh yeah, Captain America or Chris Evans, I remember him. Do you think general audiences who watch Star Wars off and on and who are now reinvigorated by Mandalorian, do you think they would watch this Obi-Wan series and be like, oh yeah, Qui-Gon Jinn? Do you think they're going to get that satisfaction? They'd be like, who the heck is this guy? No, I mean, I think he's pretty recognizable, um, especially for any, any type of Star Wars fan. I mean, I think Qui-Gon was probably one of the brighter spots to come out of the prequel trilogy. Um, and he was definitely um, looked pretty fondly on by all the fan base. So I, I don't think it's a matter of him being like an obscure type of return or anything. Um, but I do think that Chris Evans has been more cemented in his role as Captain America because of the amount of times and the amount of character development we've seen from his char- from his um, portrayal of it. But um, I, I think having Liam Neeson come back would... Um, I mean, like, there's there's so much more of that explanation where we already have a precedent of, of Obi-Wan coming back in some capacity in other mediums, like the Clone Wars. So for it to happen again in live action is just kind of following up on something that already had an example. Um, whereas if Chris Evans were to come back, 
we haven't seen a successful um, return from a mainstream actor like that in the MCU. Now, with the multiverse, that's probably going to happen more. Um, But we really just have Thor sticking around for a fourth movie and that's like the biggest set like the biggest amount of longevity we have for a character that has like such a drastic change halfway through its its um trajectory here um but with something like liam neeson as obi-wan or sorry uh qui-gon um i i think it's it's a whole different sport that we're we're talking about here um and and it's it's got a lot more um evidence as to how this could work whereas the MCU just hasn't built up that familiarity yet. I I would have to admirably, I don't know why I'm saying admirably, I would have to politely, that's the word I'm looking for, disagree with you. That Uh-oh. I think that, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but <laughs> I, I have to disagree because I think that the audience recognition and the familiarity is going to be quite different for both fan bases. And I think that's the reason why their receptions are going to be quite different. And, and that doesn't mean it's going to be bad. I just have a feeling that when it comes to the general audiences that they're going to be a little bit confused by Qui-Gon more than they're going to be confused about Chris Evans coming back and obviously we can get into executing it well and all of that jazz but familiarity is really important to certain series uh, and I just I have a feeling that you know the fan base obviously Qui-Gon coming back they're going to lose their their minds I'm going to lose my mind too I'm like Qui-Gon's back Heck yeah. I, I have a a kind of replica hilt of his lightsaber, you know, because I'm a stupid nerd. But for normal fan bases, people who are like, let me take my kids to a Star War. Let me go take them to that movie. They're going to watch this with their kids and be like, I have no idea who this is. But I mean, like every 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 like every like middle aged woman is going to see Chris Evans and be like, yeah, I remember you, baby. Show me them cheeks. It's going to be a different familiarity. <laughs> Well, those are the same types of people that are going to remember him from Twitter and that whole uh, debacle uh, with with his package. Um, uh, this is the same people who like who would die for Adam Levine when they <laughs> see him shirtless on Twitter, and it's just like, you know what? I can understand why they get behind it, but I think it's familiarity. That's why I disagree with you. But I mean, yeah. but but as far as like as far as force ghosts go. We already have uh, Yoda coming back. We already have in all the Clone Wars content that's come out, which younger people are going to be more familiar with. We have uh, uh, Force visions and and people speaking to uh, the characters in The Rise of Skywalker. We had all of those people uh, speaking to Rey from all the different eras. Um, so the idea of someone coming back in some type of mentorship role isn't foreign. But are, are you saying that your biggest concern is is Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn being too obscure for like the general fan base? No, 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 not the general, general audience, like the general people who consume media. Well, the okay. Fan so base is gonna with... to- the fan base is going to lose their minds for Qui-Gon. Like the, there is a strong love for Qui-Gon Jinn in the fan base. So as far as the fan base is concerned, yeah, they're going to like it, but it's, it's the general audience. When I say audience, I mean, just moviegoers, people who consume media, because there is MCU fans, and then there are people who will watch the MCU and be like, oh, okay, cool. They're going to understand Chris Evans more than people who watch a Star War, as the, as I jokingly say to kind of accommodate the audiences that don't know it as well. And they'll be like, oh, my kids said I got to go watch this. And they're going to be like, who the heck is Qui-Gon Jinn? The, 
it's a character that was in one movie who's referenced in one movie and then maybe three episodes or four episodes in the clone wars i mean i i get that but i think if if anyone is coming to a um uh obi-wan obi-wan kenobi like sequel prequel type of show to disney plus i i think if you're coming in there with a with a blank slate and you don't know who the core characters are from his like that are associated with his character then you're in the wrong movie I don't think this is going to be a show designed for the general public if you have not if you're not familiar with Star Wars. So I, I think by gearing this towards Star Wars fans, which they're doing, that that's not really going to be much of an issue. Um, if anything, it's going to be like a Saul Guerrero and the Clone Wars and in Rogue One type of situation Oof. where he he was in Rogue One. He was in one live action movie. And then they brought him back in, in no, sorry, Rebels, Rebels. That's the one. Um, they brought him no, back. No, you're Rebels. you're right. He is in Rebels, but it's also Clone Wars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, His main the time is Clone Wars. That's right. You got it. You got it. Um, so for anyone familiar with this character, um, especially in Rogue One, you you had that extra sense of recognition, but you could still kind of you still were able to gather who he was based on who he portrayed in the movie. So with with Qui-Gon coming back in this, even if you don't know exactly who Qui-Gon is, the way that they're going to probably if they if he if he does come back, the way they'll do it is you'll be able to immediately recognize that this is a mentor to Obi-Wan. This is someone who's important to him and um, and you're going to be introduced or um, refamiliarized with the idea of force ghosts um, to some degree or this talking beyond the physical realm. Um, so I, I don't know, man, I think there's too many precedents to say that this is going to be, um, a negative thing on a large scale for the general public, I think, cause either they'll get it or they won't. And at this point, I mean, like at this point in so many different types of franchises, um, it's hard for the general public just to jump in at like in the middle of it all. Well, they did um, it with Mandalorian, like the general public watched Mandalorian and I think Mando did pretty well for those well, that, general audiences and that was I, because it was so disconnected from the star wars universe as a whole besides fun little easter eggs in the first season it wasn't really until the second one that it was really starting to draw you into the greater threats and boba overall fett. story boba fett yes well people people recognize you're like oh it looks like boba fett this guy season one they're like okay I, I i'm a little bit in then you get to season two and they're like oh my gosh it's boba fett and these are people who haven't watched star wars and like 30 30 years because they don't acknowledge like the first or the not the first but they don't acknowledge the prequels or the sequels and they'd be like huh it's like the it's the leonardo dicaprio meme of like oh my gosh look it's a boba fett you know but i <laughs> once again my honorable friend as they would say in parliament in the uk i disagree with you but you know we could go on and on for about this i just i have i have more faith in that I have less faith in the general audience. You think they're smarter, and you know what? Good for you. I, I just good. I, you're so darn respectful, John. I just, I hope the audience knows that. I. You, you have so much more faith. I definitely people. would say I am a little bit more optimistic than you are in the, in a general sense. You know, and and that's and that's why you love the DC movies, and you know what I respect you for loving them so much giving them like nine out of tens on imdb you know way to go john you know who does not respect dc movies me or little christopher nolan 
Me, I, I, my name is Christopher, so we have that in common. Is your middle name Nolan? You know, I cannot confirm nor deny that. I think that's good enough. <laughs> I, I will say, Christopher Nolan is reportedly not doing a Warner Brothers film next, and I, I just wanted to ask you, did did you see this coming? Because we saw this coming. Yeah, I did see this coming. And this is, I believe the first source was reported by the Wall Street Journal. And it is one of those things that a lot of people were like, we saw this coming. People who are who are around the industry, media type of journalist outlets, you know, are just saying like, it's expected. From an analytical point, this totally makes sense. The writing on the wall was there. His comments about how you think you're working for the best studio in the world. And now you're working for the worst streaming service in the world. That's a pretty strong <laughs> statement. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of indicative of the feeling for general directors. And to lose someone like Christopher Nolan, it's just still not good PR for Warner Brothers, but this is a great opportunity for other studios to grab Christopher Nolan because after what we've learned with Warner Brothers and the choices that they've made with certain movies, I'm curious to see what Christopher Nolan does with with other, you know, m- not movie studios, but like uh, outlets that will, can, you know, allow him to make his movie that will publish his movies. I want to see, you know, is does he have more control? Is there anything? Are we going to get weirder Christopher Nolan movies? You know, what is that support system? That's that's what I'm looking towards is not necessarily his relationship with Warner Brothers, because now it's kind of going in the past. It's in our rear view. I want to see what he does next because that will be hopefully a telltale sign of like what was the restriction at Warner Brothers if there was any. You know, maybe his stuff gets weirder, maybe his stuff gets more conservative. I don't I don't know. And that's what I think the great mystery is right now that I'm very intrigued because I don't know, maybe Warner Brothers would be like, "Hey, can you have Matthew McConaughey talk about talk to Tars about love?" <laughs> like I will never know what that is. Like maybe it was Warner Brothers, maybe it wasn't. You know, I'm just speculating for the hell of it because, you know, I have nothing better to do in the world. (laughs) And that's why we made a podcast. And that's why we made a podcast. Exactly. But man, this is it's almost like if it's like if Tarantino broke off from uh, what's the street? Does he work with not legendary or he used to work with the Weinstein Company? Yeah. Um, But it's he's such a big character in this industry like Tarantino, where you can not you cannot not be gravitated to him like you your eyes are glued to this man and what he does next and what the next studio gives him a chance to do so that's my thoughts on this i'm curious you know what do you think you know we you mentioned we saw the writing on the wall is there anything particular you're looking towards the future for him i mean it's going to be interesting to see who kind of poaches for him next i mean we know how he feels about streaming services and Warner Brothers. I wonder if if he would make an exception for streaming if they gave him basically like a blank check and and complete control. I wonder if that would would be enough for him, or if if it's more of and like I know he makes his films to be seen in theaters, but I wonder if he would adjust that strategy if he knew going into it that it was going to be made for streaming. Um, I wonder if that would be enticing for him at all. I mean with a director of this caliber and size, I mean, regardless of how people feel about Tenet, like he is a critically acclaimed director. Um, and I, he can definitely do whatever the heck he wants next. I mean, whether it be start his own production company that 
create or that finances his films independently and then he releases them out to theaters himself i mean he's got probably that's ha- gonna, that would be very very tough i mean it would be but if anybody if any director is able to do that i mean like you think about james cameron and steven spielberg um i think he's at that same caliber now and if anybody else could do it it would be him um and then you think about the other companies that he could work with or like major major studios that he could work with and there's there's fewer and fewer out there now i mean i could see potentially sony potentially universal um but i i think that those don't have great track records with studio involvement that i don't know if it'd be attractive enough for him those that you bring up those two those are the ones with the biggest budget of the other alternatives like 20th century fox is now owned by disney i don't think he's going to go to a disney or 20th century fox i don't also yeah i also don't think he's going to go to like a paramount which is also smaller budget like yeah. you bring up the big the big boys aside from disney and warner brothers which is universal and sony and sony's track record not the greatest so i, I think you bring up the big boy which is universal i think that's the move right I mean, it's. I think it's either going to be universal or streaming. Um, yes. And, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, is he going to... I, I don't... Okay, so I don't get the impression that he's going to change his, his style and trajectory of what types of movies he wants to make. I think he's going to find whatever studio lets him make his movies, and he's going to stick with them. Um, Warner Brothers obviously pulled the rug out from under him with their dual release and streaming, and I, I I think the I think I think COVID has been hard on all the studios in that they can't obviously can't release movies in theaters, so it kind of puts them between a rock and a hard place of do we just release this to streaming and capitalize on a, a little bit of of the profits, or do we hold out and hope that there's still going to be enough interest to make it profitable a year or two from now? Um, and Warner Brothers made their choice, for better or for worse we're all going to have to live with it now um and i especially with the pandemic still going on like it is it's it's interesting that um i mean pretty much no movies are getting made and released right now and we'll talk about more of that here in a minute but um you you don't really go into working with a studio right now with the intent on making a movie to release maybe even a year from now i mean like he's gonna have he's thinking long term now at this point with the pandemic yeah and you know another studio which i another one that i didn't consider was netflix um i should have said that too but netflix uh, you mentioned streaming and netflix does make movies uh and it depends on whether you think they're good or not because what is it the was it the cohen brothers that did extraction was it no it was a Maybe I don't know what. No, they extract... didn't. No, this was like um, the stunt. Not the Cohen for... brothers. Uh, the <laughs> other brothers, the ones who did the Russo brothers. There we go. Yeah, so they're totally different. Yeah, the Russo brothers did Extraction, and that got some praise and some dislikes. You know, criticism. You're like, it's just a stupid, dumb action movie, and then people who love action films are like, this movie's awesome, dude. Uh, <laughs> but it really just does depend where he wants to go. I mean, you know, unless he goes like Legendary Pictures, like we have a great idea for you to do the Assassin's Creed. And he's just gonna be like, Nope. <laughs> Universal is the right is what I'm thinking is the right way because he does have that negative connotation toward the streaming services and how they're ruining, ruining cinema to be seen in a movie theater. So 
we'll have to wait and see on that but i just it is one of those great conversations about what's next for him and i i look forward to his future and the speculation of it and i really did like what you said where you know it, it you know what what is he going to do next is he going to have more free reign is there going to be a studio that gives it to him uh and i, I i'm curious I, i'm looking forward to it because like you said movies aren't really being made now so it has to be a long-term deal and i mean with christopher nolan being with warner brothers for so long we're just gonna have to see what he makes next is he going to be is he gonna make weird stuff or not is he gonna do like cyberpunk 2077 but on film or is he gonna make a movie about a robot in love with a person you know who knows There's and a I- lot of a lot of things to look forward to He's a great director. That's that's how it all ended. He's a great director. I'm, I can't wait to see what he does next. I did I did see a discussion regarding him about um, some of the best movies that he's done have been where he's had a smaller budget and has had to kind of be creative in the storytelling. Um, like Memento, I think is an incredible movie. Um, and so maybe we maybe this next phase for him is him scaling back and being more of an independent filmmaker who doesn't have a giant studio backing him like Warner Brothers. And so maybe this is him kind of recreating his identity as as a um, like creative and imaginative filmmaker who tells interesting stories um, that we haven't seen before. Like I, I just I I admire him for telling unique stories that aren't just remakes and reboots, um, but he tells creative stories uh, through through i don't know like i mean obviously time is a big influence on him and all of his movies um but he basically doesn't do anything in like a like a traditional way even with the dark knight and batman i mean like that was a complete reimagining from what we had come off of in the 90s um so i i think he has nothing but success obviously ahead of him um and i i hope that he is able to be as creative um, and maybe challenged in different ways to to tell better stories in the future. Yeah, he's a master of suspense, and uh, he's definitely changed genres, like stories and certain things. Like if this is supposed to be a drama and you add Christopher Nolan to it, it's gonna be a roller coaster ride of suspense. Like I think that is his craft. Things and he has twists, like in the Prestige and movies like uh, Inception. You know, he is a master of suspense, and I, I really. Like we said, we, we're just going to keep on complimenting this man. He's so great. Christopher Nolan. As long as he's got Hans Zimmer in his back pocket, it's going to be great. So hit us with that that really sad news, John. Because I'm, you know, it, it's really sad. The next news story. I just, it's so sad. It's it's almost depression. You know, everyone get your get your Prozac out because it's about to be sad. Well, I speaking of keeping things in suspense, um, mostly sadness mostly sadness though um so i wanted to talk for a minute about all of these movies that have been delayed again um from 2021 into 2022 um and i mean basically there's just no hope um i think the the closest one that's still being a holdout at this moment is black widow for may of 2021 and even that man like there's no way that's coming out this year there is no way with the state in which things are right now that that is going to be released in theaters in 2021. Um, I mean, like we were saying towards the end of 2020, that may seem like a good, strong release. 
uh, potentially at least. But I, looking at it now, I mean, that's it's four months away. We're not. It doesn't feel like we're any better than we were like six months ago. It's just getting worse. And I, I don't see any major movies coming out in 2020, 2021. Sorry, it's a lot of a lot of numbers. Um, I don't know, man. How, did, how does this whole situation make you feel? Well, let's talk about the things that are getting, you know, delayed or still mulling over the delay, which is No Time to Die got delayed to October 31st. I was think it was supposed to come out in August. I don't know. It's just that movie keeps on getting delayed and it keeps on making me sadder and sadder. Uh, and it just... I want to see James Bond. Like we are, we are missing the spy. The spy genre is being held together by James Bond right now. And it's such a great type of genre. It's such a great franchise. And from what we saw from the trailer, I was really interested in where they go. And I think also people want to get the bad taste of Spectre out of their mouth. Uh, even though like the classic, you know, James Bond people who love like Dr. No and, all those things that Sean Connery did, less less Roger Moore, like they loved this type of movie, Inspector. But No Time to Die, its trailer just hyped me up so much, and it's just a two minute trailer, and they didn't change much from international trailer and stuff like that. So that's that's what's getting me through the groove right now. It's just like that one trailer of I want to see more James Bond. Uh, when it comes to Black Widow, that's really a studio decision, and we talked about this before the podcast in a, in a in a blip of of complete genius so disney if you're listening which we hope you are I, I want i want to give you we want to incept an idea so we're gonna have to go a few layers deep john put the device in my head and then we'll get into the studio exec's head of disney and this is all you got to do just add a paywall to your movie but don't tie it to your streaming service you have to get it on the streaming service yes you go to disney plus you get to the login window and it'd be like hey would you like to purchase a movie to watch? And be like, yeah. And they'll bring up, here are your choices. Black Widow. One-time payment for you and your family, $20. Or $15, whatever your paywall might be. Don't make it 30 though. That's a little ridiculous. Make it 20 bucks or something. And you don't have to sign up for the streaming service. Just a one-time fee. You can get you and your family, everybody in the house. You know, everyone's got the popcorn that they're sharing. You and your friends in your bubble environment. Whoever is in your circle that... You guys don't wear masks around. Bring them all to your house. Watch the movie for 20 bucks. You don't have to sign up for Disney+. Plus. And then you might also decide, hey, this movie's so good, I want to sign up for Disney+. Plus. So you buy Disney+. Plus. You also pay the paywall. Everyone who has Disney+, Plus has to pay the paywall anyways, but they already have the service to watch all the great content you have. You know, and you're not pissing people off. You have the choice to not get Disney+. Plus. Well, we didn't talk about the numbers before before we hit record, and okay so my only problem with that is that i i like the idea of a paywall but if you do a paywall it can't logistically be more than the cost of the service itself because then if it's 20 bucks like you said then what would make people not want to just pay for one month of disney plus and like basically you pay you sign up for the service you have access to the entire library for 6.99 or 9.99 or whatever you want to pay and then just a couple days into it, turn off the service so that way you only get a month, and then it doesn't it doesn't renew, it just lapses, and then you move on with your life. So if you do a paywall, it can't be more than the cost of the service itself because then people would just pay for the service. No, but the people who pay for the service also have to pay for the paywall. It's oh. for people who are outside the pace 
the it's for the people who don't have the service that they're not bound to getting Disney Plus as well just to buy and like instead of paying 26 or let's say instead of paying like $27 to watch the movie you're going to pay the flat fee of $20 and you have to sign up to the service everyone who has a service still has to pay for the movie 20 bucks that's the part i missed okay yeah. that makes you're, more sense now because i think the problem with Mulan is that people who didn't want Disney Plus had to get Disney Plus and then on top of that pay $30 that's stupid yeah. In my mind, you're just creating too many barriers. You're, you're, you're adding too many steps. You just go to the login, and there's going to be a little thing that takes you to a portal. Be like, hey, you're going to watch this movie. It's $20. That's it. It's kind of like they have it on YouTube. They have it on Amazon everywhere you can. It's like, you want to rent this movie for $3.99? It's an old movie from like $19.99. You're like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, this is something that can be another test because I haven't – the only – people i've seen to do this is universal and universal did not have a streaming service they're like hey you want to watch you know uh what was that thing not gremlins the other ones you know these trolls you want to watch trolls 20 bucks here you go and, and you didn't have to get sign up for a service so i mean i think i think that's one way one way for disney to do it but the reason why this decision is so tough for them is that they don't want to also upset all of the movie theater chains for whatever reason yeah i mean that's so i want to get back to that point here in a little bit um because i think that's a part of a bigger discussion i wanted to have uh so yeah i, th I think we have a i think that's a viable solution for black widow at least um at least studios that have streaming services could use that model of a smaller paywall uh instead of signing up for your service and mm -hmm. um making it more attainable for i don't know single people in their late 20s that are are at home and don't want to pay 30 dollars for a whole family movie wow um, do i feel targeted <laughs> well <laughs> also me uh because you're not single well no but like my wife's probably not going to sit down and watch black widow with me because it's like a post avengers endgame movie uh in the mcu that requires a lot of history explanation i um, mean you could watch it in bed with her and she could play uh, Animal Crossing at the same time while you watch this movie. Oh, Still man. That's you why know? I love the Switch. You can do so many things. But, um, yeah, the other one that you mentioned that I wanted to talk about for just for a second is uh, No Time to Die. And I, the more I think about it, the more ridiculous it is that Daniel Craig has not wanted to be James Bond for quite some time now. Years, some say. And now, on his last film of his franchise... He has to stick out being James Bond because his film will not be released. And so he cannot move on from this character. He's just stuck in a loop of endlessly having to promote because he's already he's done Saturday Night Live. He's done the TV junkets, um, uh, all the interviews for when it originally was supposed to come out. And now he's going to have to do it all over again. And it's going to cause him so much more pain to have to go through all of that again and really have being in a role that he's really not going to enjoy anymore all over again. And I don't know why, but that just, it, I don't, I don't smile at his suffering, but I, I smile at the thought of that happening where it's just like someone who hates being in a role that much has to keep staying in that role over and over and over again. And he can't really move on with his career because right now he's still James Bond. Yeah, I do feel for the guy in that regards, but he also gets the accolade of being some people's favorite Bond. Like, yeah. 
he does a great job at Bond for what the studios have done with his character in that. I think it is a matter of writing. So whether you like Spectre or not, it's not a matter of Daniel Craig. It's a matter of the writing. Because Daniel Craig does play a really good Bond. And a lot of people will give Pierce Brosnan a lot of gruff because it is stupid action, you know, coming off like in the 90s, coming off the great 80s movies and kind of ramping it up to 11. And people are like, we want Roger Moore back, you know, that type of feel. And they're like, all right, here's Daniel Craig and we're also going to give him a backstory. And those movies are on and off good. Like, it's not like all of them are good. Like Quantum of Solace, you didn't even remember the plot. And I remember on this podcast, I had explained the whole thing to you. And you're like, I don't remember any of that. Yep. And it's the same thing with Spectre where I don't remember a few things except for desert, facility, him getting tortured, a helicopter crashing, a boardroom meeting in the dark where we meet uh, Christoph Waltz and Dave Bautista in a car chase where he dies pretty unceremoniously. Not a, a car, car chase, crash. a train chase or a train was, scene. Was it? Wait, did Dave Bautista die in a train scene? Yeah, or was he got kicked off a train scene? car. Oh, I see. Even I forget that. But the, that's <laughs> that's all I can remember about that movie, and I still misremembered something. So, but I can tell you everything about Skyfall, uh, Casino Royale. Also, same thing. Like those movies are so good, and I just want No Time to Die so badly because I want to put, I want to close this book on Daniel Craig because I think he him as an actor has done a phenomenal job playing James Bond. So. It really comes down to that where I want to give him the justice. And even though you mentioned, like, I I look at this man and I'm just like, man, I would hate to be in his position. I, w- I would agree, but I really want to do this for his legacy and see this movie because he's he's just phenomenal. The, the way he just portrays his characters, you know, you you look at his performances and even stuff like when he's doing uh, the Ryan Johnson movie Knives, uh, Out. Knives Out. Yeah, he does a great job, even though the accent is terrible ryan johnson's like oh i love this accent can you do more of it that's a ryan johnson thing that's not that's not a that's not necessarily a daniel craig thing because if a director doesn't know what they want that's on the director so that has that has to be a ryan johnson thing hopefully hopefully i i just the one thing i've heard like from a sorry to keep on taking your time but there was an uh an actor for video games who said who mentioned that a director says or a voice actor who told someone if you don't know what you're looking for come back to me when you do like i think bradley cooper said that to a director once hmm. is what is what it was referencing maybe not but if a if a director comes to an actor and the director doesn't know what they want the actor is like bradley cooper's like come back to me when you have an idea of what you want and that's just such a good outlook on it that if a director is unsure then what the hell are they doing? And Ryan Johnson had to be sure about about that accent, which is the worst part of the movie. And if not, man, choices. <laughs> yeah, definitely some interesting character choices there. Um, so so going back to, to a point that you brought up, and I wanted to close us out on this. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know how many movie theater chains or theaters in general will actually be able to make it until movies actually start being released in theaters um because we've already we already know amc um regal they're all struggling financially and probably gonna have to shut down here soon we don't know for how long but but the question is gonna be how how can these companies remain viable um financially 
until potentially either the end of this year or early next year. That's going to be nearly two years of not seeing any profits. Um, I don't know how they're going to sustain that for that amount of time without any major blockbusters coming out, um, especially uh, regionally within the within the U.S. here. Um, so it, when we're talking about where these movies are going to come out, whether, like what theaters they're going to be out for, um, I think the bigger question is how many of them will be forced into streaming because there are no theaters to release them. I think that the big player right now is Disney. And it, because that's going to have the biggest drop of a movie with uh, with Black Widow, if it's if it's still going to come out in May, which they're it's not re- it's not really confirmed that they're going to delay it further because we don't know. But that's what the report and rumor is uh, or report or rumor, whichever it is. Um, but, you know, a lot of big movies are looking towards that is like, when is that movie coming out? Because. They really can't rely on the HBO or the Warner Brothers movies because people just watch on HBO Max. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna watch it on HBO Max. We're not gonna go to the theater. So, it, it they are looking towards that. And as far as we've talked about this all the time when we bring up movie theaters, like what do they need to do to stay in business? And I really love that motto of like, hey, you can rent out a movie theater for like ninety nine bucks. You know, for a hundred dollars, rent out the movie theater. You and your family can watch whatever movie the heck you want. And I really think that movie theaters are going to have to just uh, find a way to market that to people. Like if you tell me like you and your group of friends can all go to the movie theater, rent out a theater for a hundred bucks and you turn into a catering type of party and then you fumigate at that thing. As soon as those people get out, Lysol it up, baby, you know, spray alcohol everywhere of rubbing alcohol, get the, the stench of people out you know maybe that's what you have to do but i just it it's a part of the industry we've talked about that needs to evolve uh outside of the pandemic it needs to evolve you know the pandemic just showed all the flaws there is because we're just rather watch movies at home but you know it really just comes down to what's next and i don't see a lot of viable solutions except change your marketing to be a party center you know like Chuck E. cheeses but you got your own place to go to your own rooms i don't know (laughs) throw some throw some uh what is that that uh aqua thunder or whatever video game like put it at the bottom of the thing so your kids can play it while you watch like requiem for a dream on the big theater screen i don't know it's they've got so many problems and i think all the all the chips or not all the chips and all the cards lie with disney right now because that's gonna make or break these theaters because it and remarkably so it's the fact that disney is being so reluctant just tells me that they have just makes me speculate that they have such a big deal with these movie theater chains something about marketing relationship ticket sales there's got to be something else because i just don't understand why they're just not saying hey disney plus all the way you know maybe something with mulan happened that exposed it i don't know but you know that's what i speculate speculate and there's not much i could say else for movie theaters i mean it could be that but i mean i i think that they see especially after hbo and warner brothers made their move that um by going against theater chains like that like you're upsetting the entire industry um from directors to actors to studios everybody is gonna is going to react negatively to that move um and i don't think that they would want to put their biggest moneymaker as the mcu in jeopardy 
of not being released in any theaters. Because um, who was it? Um, uh, I think it was it was Regal or AMC said that they weren't going to release any Universal movies because of a deal AMC. that they made. AMC, yeah. AMC uh, because they were the biggest player in this and they had to make the statement. But, I mean, you bring, you bring up that point. I think the issue with Warner Brothers being hated by the industry was that they didn't offer their directors a choice. Like, you could say, hey, here's the options. We we changed the pay structure. We released it on streaming. You still get paid, but your performance isn't based off how the movie does. And, you, you know, they, they forced their directors into a situation where it has to be released on streaming and in theaters. They could have also gone to Christopher Nolan, which they probably didn't. They could have gone to people and be like, hey, we could do the dual release. We could do a single release on each uh, on either or platform. You have three options. Warner Brothers didn't give them three options. They just forced them into one. And that's the big problem that the industry says no, no on them. Universal's decision to put trolls out on the on at the time that it did when theaters weren't open and AMC got mad. That's I, it's the only response, but Universal made the right move. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. The it, it's just such untested grounds for everybody for the future. Um, I mean, I I still stand firm that I don't think um, AMC or I don't I don't think the MCU or Disney or anybody are going to release um, Black Widow in May. I I don't know that I see it happening this year, um, but I, I I I don't know how much longer they're going to wait to release films because then it it pushes back potentially it pushes back their entire movie lineup. Um, I mean, because we have three three MCU movies coming out this year, um, and eventually they're going to have to start getting the ball rolling. So Black Widow is going to have to come out, um, and then Shang-Chi is going to have to come out later, and Thor 4 is going to have to come out. All of these things are going to have to happen at some point, whether it be in theaters or on Disney+, Plus or whatever. Um, so I, I don't know. They, they're definitely going to have to come up with some kind of creative deal for it, um and it's definitely going to be interesting to see and i i hope that there are still going to be theaters left by the end of all this um that won't be owned by amazon or disney well on that note let me make a bet with you to close out the podcast does that sound fair yes all right so you paid for the streaming to watch wonder woman on hbo i'll pay for the next month based off this or i will pay for the rest of the year whenever we do movies that's a better one so my bet is if if uh i bet that black widow is gonna come out this year whether on streaming or in the movie theaters and for you it would have to be uh next year you know and whoever wins the bet doesn't have to pay for the rest of the year well then how do we know we're gonna have to talk about paying in 2022 then because i mean it they could wait as long as like october before they make any official announcement for the end of the year well when's the next hbo movie we gotta watch coming out it's coming out in a few months like much later months which is probably when we'll have a decision from disney right potentially i mean we'll definitely know probably within the next like month or two what they want to do about may um but it may push it back until the end of the year I mean, because they have, like I said, they have three more movies or two more movies besides Black Widow coming out. So it could very easily just take one of their spots. I, I think I'm winning this bet. Even if we don't bet anything, I, I we could bet a dollar for all I care. I totally think this movie, 
I totally think Black Widow is coming out this year, whether on streaming or in a movie theater. For you to say delayed to 2021, I think, is a really bold claim that I just don't think Disney's going to delay it anymore. All right. Well, I guess we'll see. I mean, I, you're I think... holding on to the theaters, John. <laughs> Let the past die. Let go. It at least <laughs> it at least has the ability in that it's a prequel that they could release it later in the in the schedule, potentially without affecting the rest of the MCU phase four story. Um, and, and maybe there's something we don't know about how it ties in with with future projects. Maybe they need it to release at a certain time. But I, I think depending on how they restructure delays in the future will kind of show the audience how important it is being the first movie being released. You're scared. I mean, I want, <laughs> I want my movies. I I just I I feel I feel so much conviction right now that it's gonna come out this year. All right, all right. Well, I guess we're gonna find out. Don't don't you want to prove me wrong? I am gonna prove you wrong. Don't you want to smother me into some jalapeno dust or something? Because I am being spicy right now. <laughs> Yes, yes, okay. you are 100% wrong. I stand by my word. There we go. That's what I want. All right, John, send us out. All right, well, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, so stay tuned. We got some more reviews for WandaVision coming out. Uh, so look out for that. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>